When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I do have a conversation to play with you later in the podcast with my longtime pal Rick Snyder, but I wanted to skip my usual start and head right to the Dwayne Haskins tragedy. This one was tough for me because I felt like I knew Haskins on various levels, starting with watching him play from my alma mater, Ohio State. It's safe to say that I have a piece of Ohio State clothing on almost every day, usually a hat. Point is, it matters. Um, and I got to see the arm talent when he was there. That always, that arm talent always tantalized the football folks. I knew of him from his having played high school ball in the D.C. area and then committing to Ohio State. You knew that he was a really good quarterback. When he made everyone take notice was the Michigan game in 2017. Enter the game, team was trailing, JT Barrett gets hurt. On his first drive, he faces a third and 13. Crucial drive. Mention that down a distance to an Ohio State fan, and they'll instantly know what you're talking about. He made a Sunday throw, hitting the receiver on a bullet in the seam with tight coverage. They went on to score a touchdown. Ohio State goes on to win. Ohio State fans could not wait to see what Haskins could do with a full season. Then we saw it. 50 touchdowns, eight picks, Heisman finalist. One of the best offenses in Ohio State history and a, and a, and a system with Ryan Day as a coach that really started to feature more quarterback play than the university ever had. Then I got to know him as a reporter, digging into his journey, how he went from barely playing his first two seasons to potentially being a top 10 pick. Haskins put in the work to reach that point. Maybe there were other things he could have done, but that's true for most people in this line of work. But what I know is that he would organize throwing sessions with receivers when he was in high school, including when Stefan Diggs was at Maryland. Trayvon Diggs put out a video of Haskins throwing to him. Haskins would go from high school practice to work with a local quarterbacks coach, Bryson Spinner, sometimes staying a few hours and getting home at midnight. Often, it was a family affair as his parents and his sister would attend with him. I got to know his dad a little bit in this process, and there were some unusual exchanges. I never take anything personal, and I'll leave it at that. Some other reporter had an experience with his dad, wrote a story. I disagreed with that approach, would not have done that. But I also recall talking to him, his dad, after the draft when we were at the Jefferson Memorial. He talked about why, and we talked about, like, he apologized for, I couldn't help you, couldn't help you. We talked about why he took a certain approach, and we talked about raising kids. My middle son is also 24 years old, and doing what we think is best and right. We talked about religion, etc. I understood he was just a dad trying to do what he thinks is best. Nothing wrong with that. And that's what I think of today, a father and a mother now grieving with unimaginable pain. I think of his sister who was four years younger than him, but they had a special, special bond. The Big Ten Network did a, did a series or a, a story on them. 
And it was a video that was, it was very hard to watch the other night when this happened, but it was about Dwayne going back and surprising his sister who was in a play that night, didn't know he was coming home from college. Uh, it was a bye week for Ohio State and he surprised her. And you could tell the bond that they had and I feel horribly for her. And of course I got to know Dwayne when he was in Washington. Not here to rehash what went wrong. That has been discussed too often, doesn't matter. But what I liked and what I choose to remember now is, is things like his smile, how others liked him, even if he frustrated them at times by what he would or wouldn't do. But go back and watch a clip on Twitter. And I, I put this out on my Twitter feed, but go back and watch this clip on Twitter. It's from the NFL's Twitter feed. It was after Haskins' first win as a starter. Forget what happened, the selfies, et cetera. Watch the clip of him embracing offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. And then watch Haskins embrace tackle Morgan Moses. There was a lot of emotion in those hugs from both of those men. We've all seen some of those fake hugs or the quick hugs. These were tight, lengthy embraces. I talked to a lot to O'Connell about Haskins that season. I know how much work he put in with Haskins and what the quarterback meant to him. And I know in talking to Moses, how often he counseled Haskins and kept him focused. If Dwayne was a certain way, they would not have reacted the way they did and have been so happy for him. But people liked Dwayne. I liked Dwayne. He knew my name, which is a bigger deal than you think, but it helped establish a relationship and it was part of the relationship. I loved talking to him one-on-one -on -one because I felt like I gained insight into him that I never would have gotten from a group setting. I always felt like he was so, like he was like a lot of other many young men, a guy trying to figure out how to make it in his profession, but a good kid, nothing that, that he was a good kid. I learned of his death Saturday morning when J.P. Finley called me to ask if I had heard anything about this. And it was a tough call for him to make because you, that's, it's a hard think of the subject. He had gotten wind of this, but something like this, you really don't want to believe and you check it out. And he, I went and checked Twitter, found a couple of people saying RIP Dwayne, but I didn't know who they were. And, and I'd hoped that they were just getting bad info like JP, like there was some bad rumor out there. And we had just seen pictures that Dwayne had posted the previous day. Then I texted someone close to Dwayne and I found out the hard truth. It was real. And it was a major gut punch. Not obviously not just for me, for many, many people, for the fan base, oh, devastating for the family. And that's something that I can't get beyond. As a reporter, I have to cover all the facets of a player, what they do well, where they don't. At my core, I want to see people do well. I'd rather, be, I'd rather write positive stories than anything else. So I still hope Dwayne would have a good, productive career. But when something like this hits, all I kept thinking of was his parents and family and friends and the moments they now will lose out on. Family gatherings, perhaps grandkids, et cetera. Going, accompanying Dwayne to Ohio State games in the future where he could show like, hey, your dad was a big thing here once upon a time. And he still would be because people will always remember what he did there. Football is fleeting. Family is not. It's a sad time. I need to take a break after this. And when I return, I'll be back with my pal Rick Snyder as we discuss Jack Kent Cook. Just to let you know, we taped this interview before the news of Dwayne's death. With Cook, it's been 25 years since he died. And Rick reflects on that time, not just, not just the death, but the Cook's ownership and then the sale of the team, what made Cook a good owner. We exchanged some stories and more. You can follow Rick on Twitter at snide underscore remarks, and you can follow him on YouTube at Rick Snyder's Washington.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Rick Snyder. Rick, I didn't even realize that Cook had been had died. It was like 25 years ago, earlier or last week. Until you started tweeting about it, and, uh, and part of it is because I feel like I've aged 25 years in the last couple of years. So it it feels longer than that, but it's tw- it's been 25 years since he died. Um, in general, and we'll get into some specific, but in general, what are your memories of Cook and what he meant here? Yeah, you know, yeah, it does feel longer to me than 25 years, but because uh, it, it's well, it's a long time, but. My memories of Cook, I mean, he was just an interesting guy, probably the most interesting person I've ever covered in, in my career. Uh, but, you know, he could be a jolly guy one moment. He could cut you off at the knees another. You know, if Dan Snyder thinks he's a tough guy, he couldn't even touch Cook. Cook knew how to go for your throat, and he would do it. But then he'd also lecture you about things. And, you know, he was just very interesting. I mean, he and his Oxford comma thing where he just said you've made a mistake in your story this was more than once we talked about this and he goes you're missing a comma and i said newspapers don't use oxford commas i think probably going back to the old days when you said type by hand one last thing i I don't know but he said the english language is not up for debate and i anyways and then he would start with the encyclopedia stories i sold them door to door i said well big deal there were 11 letters back then and, and that brought the lecture. So you could tweak Cook, but you were going to get you were going to get punished for doing that. But you could at least, you know, get him. He, he would he would ask, who was it Reggie, the, the, um, who worked in the PR department for a while? And he would always wouldn't he would quiz him on certain books. If you've read the classics, he was big on the classics, if I remember. Yeah, And you remember Reggie finally decided to get the cliff notes. That's right. And he, he would read those and then throw it out at Cook. And Cook just thought it was the greatest. You know, Reggie was a smart guy like that. But yeah, he loved, he always loved the, uh, he loved writers. That's why when we stint, went to the new stadium, we had a midfield press box like always because awesome. Cook appreciated us. And Dan Snyder took one look at this and said, what are you doing here? And took it away from us and we're in the end zone. But that was the difference between the two men. Yeah, and I think the NFL, I think a lot of other owners have figured that out too, that, that th- that's prime real estate that, that these reporters were taking up. It's bad enough that we have to feed them. We don't have to give them these seats either. But yeah, I mean, that was, well, you remember early on in that tenure in, the, in this, where we, even when we were still at midfield, they put those luxury boxes behind us in the press. Yeah. Do you remember that? Like it was yeah, really yeah. weird because yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, you had fans cheering, and then Snyder's box was next to us, and there was plexiglass. I used to be on the corner and look in at his box, and he would see me doing it. Really hated me doing it, so they put shades down, so I couldn't do that anymore. You know, I loved. You know, we're the only people around to call him Dan because we do it just to tick him off. I'm sure, but I'm also older than he is, so he can call me Mr. Snyder if he wants. (laughs) But if you remember, like in those in those luxury box suites too. Because those fans, they be they literally were sitting like I'm in the front row in the press box, and literally behind you is a luxury box 
within the press box. And so yeah. it was really weird. So they eventually closed that one in. And I'm like, it's like these people are in the zoo and we're just out here, you know, they're enclosing this plexiglass and it was a weird, just a weird situation. Yeah. He was trying to figure out how to make money from the get go. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it, it's like when I was covering Maryland basketball, I had court courtside, you know, front row and the dream seats were next to me and Steve Biscotti, who would buy the Ravens was literally sitting next to my table. You know, there's three reporters and then the rich people sit next to you. So Biscotti's on the end and Biscotti would come over and look at the monitors, see what the scoring was and all. And, you know, this guy would go on to buy the Ravens. So they were used to being around fans in a way. But with Cook and you talk, you know, like he had, wasn't always the easiest guy maybe to, to work for, but people seem to like working for him. Is that your recollection? Yeah. I mean, very few people left and right. he was a great one minute manager. He would just curse you out for the first 30 seconds in a, in a highfalutin way, not using F words, but he would use some kind of, you know, SAT word to get you. But he spent 30 seconds giving you a hard time and then he would turn it around and say, now, I know you can do better and I know you will do better. And people were ready to run through a wall at the end of that minute. So you've just been dressed down, but yet now you're pumped up. And he was very good at doing that. And uh, showing people value and working hard. And people worked hard for Cook, you know, and then they all, nobody left. And then as soon as Snyder comes in, I think like 150 people were gone in the first few months. I mean, he just wiped them all out. And they still turn over regularly. It's a hard place to work. It is. And I, one thing I do remember talking to Bobby Mitchell was about Cook's attention to detail with money. And remember, they used to have, in the spring, they do the OTAs. And then they'd have the barbecue for the players and their mm -hmm. families out at the facility. And I also remember way back in the day, even when I was first covering it, it was early two thousands or so they would still, the OTAs were not a big deal and they would have, they'd be cooking these steaks and all that out there. And like we'd get a steak. Um, and it, cause not many, there were media, wasn't a lot of media out there, but anyways, back in the day they do this. So there was one time where um, cook went down the list of what, cause Bobby Mitchell was in charge of putting this together. How does that sound? Just Hall of Fame running back in charge of putting together this barbecue. But he'd go over the hot dogs. And he's like, I know you can get this one for five cents cheaper per hot dog. And he'd have to go back and find that hot dog and shave off a couple hundred dollars or whatever from the total bill. Yeah, he was very good about that kind of stuff. He would, you know, pinch a penny on you. I mean, you remember the old press box at RFK? Uh, they used to have like, green hot dogs, you know, in a big box, and yes. you know, that kind of thing. And um, in his early days at the old Redskin Park, they used to feed players uh, lunch, and it was always McDonald's every day. And <laughs> well, about these personal chefs and all this stuff. I know a team with three rings that ate McDonald's every day. <laughs> and whatever, the funny part was whatever was left over after lunch, the, the media could have. But the hogs would go by and squish all the burgers in half and everything, just destroy the food. So you'd, you'd go through and go, hey, this is, I got half a fish sandwich here. I mean, you know, I look back at that. I think, wow, I was a dog for doing that. But, you know, yeah, you know, Jacoby and Grimm, and I, they just smash all the food for fun. He also, and it's funny because one of the things I remember reading about him, Dan Snyder was infamous, has been infamous for his 2 a.m. phone calls, late night phone calls and all that. I think Cook was doing the same thing, too. Do you, did you ever talk oh, to people about that? Yeah, he would call Casterly, I know, at times. But you know what? It wasn't so much about business 
as he was lonely. And yeah. he would call me late at night sometimes. And one time he called me about, I owned a little vending machine company. I had like 30 machines. I and, do by the day. Way, and Rick did do this and he'd show up with these big bags of quarters to the facility. Yeah. But go, and it was great, but go on. Yeah. Yeah, when people needed quarters for the soda machine, they come to me. I still have a bag of quarters in my bag. Um, I, you know, I used to use them for toll pay parking and all that. Uh, but yeah, so Cook calls me up one night and asks me questions about this company. And we talked for about an hour. And I'm thinking, what's the gag here? There's something wrong going on here. And we talked about business. And he would give me advice about how to finance things and all. And, uh, you know, and then he hung up. And, and I mentioned it to Charlie one day. And Charlie said, he's just lonely looking to talk to somebody. I thought, wow, you know, but it was an interesting conversation with him. I mean, he would, when he was mad at you, he'd call and you'd just pick up the phone and he would start cursing. And you, and you, only thing you ever did was go, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Okay. And then you, you didn't get a word in and you just had to apologize a bunch of times. And maybe at the end, he would let you say something. And I once won a conversation by saying, why didn't you call me? I said, I did call you and you didn't call me back. And he says, my apologies, click. And then <laughs> I thought, did I just win that one? You know, but there was a day he had a horse flying continental. He ran in the derby. Cook desperately wanted to win the Kentucky Derby. And his neighbor, Paul Mellon, won with Sea Hero. And Mellon and Cook hated each other because Mellon thought Cook was new money, believe it or not. Part of believe it, Cook's new money, but Mellon's go back into the yeah. 1800s. And Mellon won. So Cook really wants to win. He's got a horse that has zero chance and almost ruins the horse in the Derby, knocks him out. But he runs the next year in the Breeders' Cup in New York, the same weekend that the Giants are uh, hosting the Redskins. So I talked to Cook about both of them. And I said, you know, I'm going to bet on both. And if I win, I'll be as rich as you, Mr. Cook. And he laughs. He goes, let me be the first to welcome you to the club. Click. And, then, and of course, his horse stunk and the team lost. So. <laughs> he was, But, you know, it's funny because you did talk about being lonely at the end. I had a, a relative of my wife's was somebody who was helping take care of him at the end out in Middleburg. He was a nurse. And that's one of the things he would always talk about. He would talk about the cursing and all that. And, you know, I think he had a good disposition to deal with Cook because he just let things slide off his back. But he did say that there was a lot of loneliness at the end there for him. Um, now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he basically ticked off everybody. Yeah. You know, he, hard, he was a hard guy to deal with on so many levels, business-wise, personal-wise. You know, he was the squire. And if you didn't acknowledge that, he didn't have any use for you. He would just fight with people. Um, and it didn't make him a bad guy so much. It's a weird thing to say, but he was the boss and you were applesauce. And that's just how it went. <laughs> now, with the sale of the team, because there was all that talk at the time about John Ken Cook. Do you ever think, do you think that John really wanted to buy the team? Do you, th and, you know, I know the way that it unfolded, it may have been first. Well, let me, I'm going to back up for a second. People see that sign right there. It says Rick Snyder's Washington. That's his YouTube channel. Go to that. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But anyways, you see the sign. Now, you know, um, but with, with cook, do you think that he either misjudged what it would take to buy the team? Or do you think maybe his son, as much as publicly was being said, he wanted to buy it, maybe wasn't fully invested in buying it. I'm going to, thanks for the sign. I'm going to speed up the sign and that way you'll have a seizure when you're watching, but uh, <laughs> Um, you know, the most misunderstood thing that's been lost to time is how that sale went down. I covered it every day. 
And I told people it was the most challenging story I ever covered because it was like you were being surrounded by people yelling at you that everyone else in the circle was lying to you. They were telling the truth. And who was telling the truth changed every day. There was just, you know, it's a billion dollar thing when you think about it. And, and all the jackals and thieves were coming to, to take it. And you had alliances with so many different parts of this. In the end, they thought the team was going to sell for $250 million. And John Kent Cook really, I think, wasn't interested in doing it. But, you know, the, the, the bidding got up to over $700 million for several right. reasons. One, the stadium was coming. So that's increasing revenues. They also had signed the first major TV contract NFL-wise. It was the beginning of the new great money. That happened. And Cleveland uh, got an expansion team, right. which was like $530 million or something. Mm-hmm. So when you see that, you know that this team's not going for $250. And so it got up to over $700. And you know, I think Cook wanted to make it look like he did because there wasn't a lot of bidders. He's getting 10% of the team's sale. And, you know, so it's in, you know, if he getting an upper bid, now no people were trying to partner with them and they said right. he didn't want to. Right. So, you know, he basically got up to 800 and Milstein got the thing and Snyder's the junior partner in that. But Milstein thought he could buy this team on credit, you know, because he was a real estate guy out of New York. And the NFL kept telling him, you got to liquidate, you got to put cash in, because if you default, I don't want the bank owning this team. And he just never do it. He thought he could get it to all the way to the last vote and then withdrew his bid rather than get a vote down on that. And Snyder did a really smart thing. He said, wait a minute, told the trustees, your bid is the, the deal is with Washington Sports, whatever they were called. I'll take over the bid. The board of trustees is so exhausted from two years that they figure, fine. You know, if they had reopened the bidding, Fred Smith probably would have won with about a billion dollars for the team. But Snyder kept that from happening. He was really smart about that. Um, but in the end, I don't think John Cook really wanted it. You know, he, he took off for a couple of years and then came back, used the money to start a winery. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a while. You know, he was a little mad at me because I kind of showed that he was, you know, a straw bidder, in my opinion. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of our show. Well, and you know, you said this earlier, but I had heard the same thing at the time, talking to people close to him who would say, who even wondered the same thing. 
that it did he really want it because they're like, I'm introducing him to this people who have all this money and who are telling him, I'll, I'll help you, I'll help you, I'll help you. And he would not, he didn't call them. So, and you remember too, when he was, when Jack and Cook were still alive and we're out at the park, you know, John was leaving early from there. Yeah. And, and there were a lot of people there who noticed that and who would say it wasn't until like maybe a year before his dad died that they thought, well, maybe he really does want it. Yeah, he was there from like 10 to 2 and took an hour for lunch. And I remember Dan Snyder telling me when he used to talk to me in the beginning, uh, he said, you know, I took over the office. You know what I found in the desk? Sailing magazines. I was going to say, it has to be something about yachts or sailing. Yeah, sailing. And he was just incredulous about all this. But, you know, so John really wasn't there. And, and the old man gave John a hard time. He used to call him Johnny Cakes. And uh, he would say stuff like, Johnny, I mean, this is the true story. Johnny Cakes, uh, have you used the restroom before we drive back to Middleburg? And John's like, I don't know, in his 50s or something yeah. at this point. And he's like, come on, Johnny Cakes, go use that. It was like ridiculous. <laughs> was. All that. You know, well, one other, uh, Ralph, who passed away uh, in his 50s, uh, he was running a horse operation in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And that was the maddest cook ever got at me. It was I wrote a story saying after Ralph died, they sold the farm at a loss because they had bought it when it was high and they sold when things were low. Uh, and he was so mad that I wrote he lost money on a deal. Yeah, I got really tore up on that one. Well, and for some reason, this reminded me because you mentioned the parking lot when they're leaving. Do you remember being in the media room and <laughs> Cook would show up to practice and mm -hmm. Rick Vaughn, the PR director, they they bring the golf cart around front for Cook so he could ride him around the back. And Rick Vaughn would be on the back with the holding Coco, the dog's leash to walk yeah. him basically as they rode down the hill. And Rick, there was one time where we were in the media room watching this, and Rick looked over at us and just goes, I know uh, Marty Herney was, he used to be the Washington Times reporter back a little before me. And he went to go work for the team. And he told Bobby Bethard, uh, I'm not getting Coke's lunch for him. And Bethard said to him, Marty, we all get Coke's lunch for him. <laughs> you know, everybody worked for, sometimes I felt I worked for Coke. I mean, he would yell at me. I go, Do, you know, I said, yeah, I used to, one time I finally got messed I said, am I related to you? He go, oh, you're a bastard, but you're not mine. And I said, well, do I work for you? He goes, oh, I'd fire you in a minute. So they quit yelling at me. <laughs> you know, but he didn't care. He didn't yell at me more. I mean, we all work for Cook. Well, and I, and I did not know him the way you did, because at that time I was very, very young in this. And you were covering that the sale because of that much deeper. But um, yeah. And you know, the other thing I remember, too, is at, at his funeral. And this is more about Jerry Jones, but, and his love of the cameras. But you remember that there's that little church in Upperville and it's this little, you know, stone church and it's a small country road. So it's a two, it's supposed to be two lanes, but there's no yellow marker or anything like that small road. And the media is all on the other side of this small road. And there's a, remember there's that um, stone, stone wall. And so we're all over mm -hmm. there and there's a, like a line of cameras over there. So Jerry Jones's limo pulls into the church. Well, He's, you know, you pull in the church, you're going to walk right in. There's no camera shots. So remember, they pull in the church and there's a spot there for him. There's a spot he can just stay. But they get out. They, he looks, gets back in the car and they go around the corner. So that way, Jerry Jones can make the grand entrance walking along the front. Now, to his credit, he came out and talked to us afterwards, gave us some great quotes. But I just I always for some reason that I always got a kick out of that. Yeah, that was I remember that well, because they made all of us stay so many feet back from the church. Right, right. I, I should, church um 
a couple few months ago when I went to Sam Huff's memorial, I've stopped by and saw that church. Uh, it's, you know, Cook is buried. It's one of the first things you walk into in the cemetery. And it's just a little bronze plaque that says Jack Kent Cook in the years. That's it. I mean, you kind of expect a pyramid or something, you know, because if I didn't see it the day they buried him, they wouldn't let us down. It's just this quiet thing. And he's buried, oh, about 50 yards from the Mellon family, which I always find really amazing, given they hated each other. But the Mellon family paid for it. I think it's called Trinity uh, Holy Church or something like that. It's, yeah. it, and, it, and it looks like a, I think it's a 14th century French chateau type of church that the Mellons paid for. So it's all there. It's very quiet. Anybody who wants to go can see Cook's grave. It's right there. Um, last thing, you can they get back to ever? I mean, I don't know that Dan can ever. Dan would be hard for him to ever reach the the levels of Cook, where you can be a certain way but also beloved. Right. I mean, when he makes people beloved, that's for sure. Because right. if they were miserable and Cook was doing all that, people wouldn't remember him as much. Correct. You know exactly. Like, exactly. You know, it kind of might be like George Preston Marshall. I'm a little bit too young to remember him well. Uh, but people didn't like Marshall, you know, and kind of a money grower. But can Snyder do it? I don't think so. I mean, he lives in a bubble, too, where Cook lived in the world. I mean, he lived in the rich world, but he was around. You damn. People could talk to him. I've met many a person who, was, who have met him. Someone told me yesterday they were in a Joseph A. Banks clothing store and Cook was being fitted for a shirt. And, he went over and said hi to Cook, and Cook said hello to him, shook his hand. You can't do that with Snyder. You know, he's, he won't let anybody near him like that. He's truly an introvert. So, you're not, you know, now if they want a Super Bowl, people would like Dan a little more, yeah. I'm sure. It's not like he's had a gas pump filling up and people harass him. I mean, he lives in his own world. Yep. And we'll see. We'll see how long this stuff goes on. And it's, but it's kind of fun to, to, to stroll down memory lane a little bit. Rick, tell people where they can get you, your YouTube and all that stuff. Yeah, so on YouTube, it's Rick Snyder's Washington, also on Twitter, uh, on there. And I do videos every day, a couple times a day, maybe more. Depends on what you're writing, I just talk about it. And uh, then we do, you know, I still write for Odyssey, which is 106.7, the fan. I do show. So I'm kind of in semi-retirement. You know, it's my 44th year. I turned 62, um, had some health issues. So, uh, you know, I think I'm going to do another season, and I'm not sure after that what's going on, but... Uh, I, I talk, my videos are a lot of mixture of, of what's going on now, but also history. If it's a slow day, I'll do some history or I'll do some tour guide stuff like, you know, five things to see in town. Since I do tour guiding too, uh, you can see monumental thoughts is my website talks all about DC. I'm a DC guy. I don't know much anything else, but I know this town. So yeah, it's, it's been great. We did 6 million views on, uh, social media in the first 15 months of the show. And we're on track for more than six, seven million this year. So I don't know. People like they're only two minutes. So people like that. Don't say that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there, but it's always, yeah, there you go. I won't go there. I'll be an adult. So anyway, very good. And it, and the tours are great. You know, you, you know, you can people can sign up for tours with you as well. And you can get a mix of DC history. Um, as well as a little bit of Washington football history. So, and I can't say commander's history because commanders have only existed for a couple months, but the franchise history you can get. So, you know, this fall I have a revised book, The 100 Things Redskins Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, not my title, uh, has been changed to commanders. We uh, changed five chapters around, updated a lot of stats. It's largely the old book if you have the old book, but there is some new stuff in it. 
they haven't bought the old book, then it's all new to you anyway. But, uh, you know, it's like, what do we do for commander stories? You know, I, people think it's 100 stories about the commanders. I don't know. <laughs> it's barely been 100 days of commanders. So, you know, it's, it's they'll have to find their own path. I think people will get used to the name. I don't know if they'll, if they'll be any good this season. I think they'll be okay. Uh, depends on when's. But uh, we're always right. There's always something going on with this team, much to our chagrin. There, there is, and it's it's disrupted many, many nights and weekends for me over the last however many years. But and I actually think they'll be better this year. I think I can see them winning ten games. I don't think it's a big stretch. Their schedule's different, but who knows? We'll see. And because as you know, how it looks now, it always looks different in the fall. So, Rick, thanks for coming on. All right, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Rick for joining me, and thank you for tuning in. This was a tough weekend. I'll be back with more content on Wednesday. I'll talk to you next time.